Welcome to the Millionaire Next Door podcast with Robert Curtis, CFP, accredited investment fiduciary from Signature Estate and Investment Advisors. In this podcast, we help successful wealth accumulators like you looking to transition to a work optional lifestyle by helping you build strategies for growing and maintaining your wealth. Robert draws from years of experience and fiduciary responsibility and interviews guest experts to help you build reliable strategies to grow and maintain your wealth. Now, on to the show. Robert Curtis wants you to understand how he and his team can support you in good market times and rough market times. In this episode, he wants to re-emphasize the importance of a well-diversified portfolio, long-term goals and objectives, and the problems that can result if you stray from your plan, especially during market corrections. Oh, and Robert, should investors believe everything they hear in the media? Should they believe everything they hear in the media? Well, that's a good one, Patrice. Um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I would take it with a definite grain of salt. I wouldn't over-obsess and over-listen to the media. This is just a practice I've learned over the years. With, I mean, if you want to know what the news and what's going on in the world and all that, that's great. But it, when it comes to your investing and making decisions, following it, you know, on a micro basis and watching CNBC or Fox or any of those all day long, I don't think is good. Uh, folks need to understand the role of the media and its ability to generate panic and ensure viewership and ratings. Ultimately, I'm, I'm sort of the voice of reason and saving people from bad decisions while in an emotionally charged state. So it comes up a lot where I get folks call in and they're asking something and I'm like, whoa, whoa, turn turn this down, you know, turn the, the sound down, stop, stop watching the media. Uh, but I'd, I'd be careful and I de-emphasize that because it's very, very short term in nature. And their whole role is just to get you to stay tuned in for viewership. Uh, I'll just take a quick aside. I, I had heard years back, several years back when, when CNBC was really struggling with viewership, they wanted to sort of hip up their their ratings dramatically and they had hired a producer as i was told from uh, from the maury povich show and so if you remember this <laughs> a lot of sensationalism and it worked it worked pretty well so they went to sort of a sensationalist uh format and that got people hooked in and it, it does not really lead to good investment decisions necessarily so there's my response there and we're here to be somewhat of the noise canceling headphones and we're, we're following a much more disciplined process that I'll, I'll get into in some greater detail so people have a decent understanding of, of what's going on and all the things we're doing. And that's some of what I want to emphasize in this podcast. So well, That noise-canceling headphone analogy, I think that's perfect. That's exactly what you should be doing, and you are doing that. So tell us more about the, the well, your process. Talk about the, the, the things, that, the steps that you take. Yeah, a absolutely. So there's many, many, many steps, and I'll give you so, some flavor for some of those. And just to let you know that that's there. Um, I mean, if your mechanic takes you take your car in for, uh, they're going to itemize that stuff, but you don't really know everything, but they, they have a very complete process. So we want folks to know there's lots of things going on and that we're looking at, and it's very disciplined and we're not 
at the whims of emotion or how, you know, we're watching some real numerical terms. We, I've actually described my process or named the process. It's, it's pretty formalized, developed over 25 years. We call it our process, O-U-R. It's objective, it's unemotional, and it's rules-based. So that's the O-U-R. It's been a real differentiator and game changer. And let me let me try and give you some some feel for what that is. And a lot of clients have heard me explain it, or or if they call in with a question on on the news or the media, they're saying buy XYZ stock or it's the time. We'll just walk them right through this process and what does the actual data say? So it's been very, very grounding, and the data is the data is the data. So it just helps from a framework of making decisions. Uh, a few of the processes, I'm just going to kind of go for it here. Um, we we certainly use fundamental analysis, and let me just explain briefly. That's like looking at the numbers. Meaning, I mean, we're going right through earnings season right now. It's July 21 of 23 as we record this. And so far, it's been a pretty good earnings season. And the market's responded a lot. And it's it's extremely overbought, which I'll talk about in a few minutes. Uh, but it's doing really well, and it's on the upswing. Fundamental analysis, we're obviously looking at things like price-to-earnings ratio, PE, debt, uh, free cash flow, all those numbers, all those equations, and, and those are important. Those are really, really important. And that will show you if something's sort of um, at a good valuation, at a normal or at a high valuation. And that's important to know. And then when they release earnings, they usually give some type of guidance on that. And, you know, that, that can change that, that whole equation. But we're not so concerned quarter to quarter with the earnings. So we're going to, I mean, we're going to try and own much more solid core type holdings that we think have really good long-term fundamentals. So for example, Apple, I mean, Apple can really move a lot on quarterly earnings. It's generally been up, but if it's down a little bit, they treat it like, oh my gosh, this, you know, there's no future for it. And it's not that important over 90 days. They have a very, very bright future and they're moving into a lot of, um, lot of new areas. So the fundamental analysis, you know, that and a lot of times that shows you what to buy if something is inexpensive. The other side of the equation and the real game changer and a big factor in our process is looking at what's called the relative strength or technical um, readings. And this is what the market is actually saying. I mean, the only way there's a stock can go up is if more people buy it than sell it. I mean, same with an ETF and whatnot. So what is in control? Is it supply or demand? Frankly put, if demand is in control, you want to own it. If supply is in control, you don't want to own it. So we pay attention to how these rank. And we have a system that I utilize a system through software that I've talked about a bit in the past, but over analyzes over 37 million relationships every night and gives me a report on the outliers. And we can see where things, whether they're overbought, oversold, uh, how their relative strength is relative to their peers, to the market. And it's a really good objective framework because, again, the data is the data. And so, you know, things, this has been a positive market of late. The market seems to be pricing in a better chance of some type of a, a soft landing. And I'm, 
that is what it is. I trust the markets because they're very good tools for anticipating the future. But I but I have uh, some concerns about that. I'll talk about that in, in a minute. Um, but we utilize that. And the fundamental or the I should say the technical or relative strength that a lot of times that'll tell you when to buy something. So now if you can put together the what to buy and when to buy, that is a really powerful formula. And the analogy we make, it's sort of like playing the piano with both hands on the keyboard. If you're, if someone were a great pianist, but they only had one hand on the keyboard, they, they might create some really nice, uh, music and it might be impressive, but all of a sudden if they have both hands on the keyboard, it's a whole kind of different experience, right? Yeah, it's much richer. Much richer. Yeah, you can catch a lot more. So this is looking at both. And let me just give you a perfect or not a perfect uh, an example of this Microsoft. Okay. Hit all time highs within the last week, this chat GPT, all that kind of stuff. It's been an amazing stock. But I noticed, because I've had people who've held it for years, it started taking off around 2014, okay? And it's been really strong ever since. That's a long, long run. But for a good 15 years prior to that, it was completely flat or did nothing. There was a good 15-year stretch where it just did nothing. That's a long time to hold something, mm -hmm. right, where it's not moving. And it all depends if you're 30 or 40 years old. That's one thing. If you're, you know, 60 or 70... <laughs> 15 years is a right. long, long time frame. So, so it's really important to pay attention to what trends are going on. Is it in favor relative to the market, relative to its peers? And certainly in a strong market, if something is out of favor, we probably don't want to own it. If, if markets are moving up and something else isn't moving with it, the market's probably saying the timing's not right on this for whatever reason, and it's probably not a great time to own it. So, we sort of marry those two together. That took me many years to sort of figure out and dial in. And again, we, we use a very sophisticated, unemotional rules-based process. We have numbers. We have data. Yesterday, we recommended a shift in a portfolio. Um, we took some stuff out of the financial sector and went into something else. But we could show the client through the data, look how much stronger. This ranks zero out of five. This ranks five out of five. It's not overbought. There, there was a rationale behind it. So that's been super helpful and people appreciate it. And a lot of times we'll get introductions or we'll look at people's portfolio in a complimentary sense. Maybe if it's held somewhere else or they're considering us or sort of kicking the tire, tires, we can go through every position in there and give them the whole laydown on what it's doing from a relative strength perspective and I, I can't think of a single instance where I, you know, I've been doing this like 25 years, but people who've been investing for 20, 25, 30 years, they've never heard this. They might've worked with six or seven advisors. They've never seen this. It just, it, it is what it is. And it's a really great process. So as I've said in the past, if, if you're working with a team or someone who's doing this and they have it dialed down, don't change. That would be a mm -hmm. big mistake. Mm -hmm. If you're not, uh, I think you really, really need to. You know, it's sort of like the pilot flying the plane with based on sense versus versus an instrument trained pilot. Um, <laughs> if you're one degree off course or where are you on the course, you still want a reading to tell you where you're on on the course. So 
especially if you're traveling thousands of miles. So that's a big part of our process. L let me get into some others. You know, we really want to know our positions, know what you own, you know, do the homework, do the diligence. We, we know what's in there very well. We understand what they are. Um, it's not because we, you know, we mentioned with the media, it's not because we just heard it and some talking head who was on for 30 seconds said, buy this. That's that's not very deep research. And we don't know what that person's intentions were, where they're coming from. These are things we've owned. We probably own ourselves. We've gotten lots of portfolios. We watch very closely. We understand. So a lot of diligence. So know what you own. Uh, other things, generally speaking, we'd avoid big debt. We look for maybe low or no debt, ideally. I mean, I'm, I'm not looking to leverage things up, especially in a rising interest rate environment. And most companies that get into a lot of trouble, I mean, debt, debt is really, really problematic. And just from a simple accounting standpoint, if a company has no or low debt, I mean, there's, there's not a lot of reason to go cook the books or adjust stuff. If they have a lot of debt out there, they, they have a lot of stuff to maybe conceal or make look differently. So that's just one of the factors we'd bake in there. We're, we're looking to own sort of world-class, best at what they do globally type companies and or ETFs. So look, a Microsoft, what they do, they're world-class. These are not recommendations. Apple, if it is a uh, industrial company, and this is not a recommendation, but like a Honeywell is a very cutting edge, leading type as good as anyone on the planet. If it's energy, probably Chevron. Those kind of things as opposed to sort of bottom fishing and that kind of thing. So if they've really got a big moat around them, they're the best at what they do, that's important. Other factors would be what we call skin in the game. Uh, this is if management owns a large share of it. And there are certainly companies you can see where the management just sheds it as fast as they can. Even um, There's others where they just the management owns huge chunks. They never get rid of it or rarely get rid of it. That's a big sign, you know, if you're going to own that company and, and, and as opposed to if you're getting rid of it. So we watch that. We guide people through that. Uh, other things we would look at and just, just give advice on is um, things like, when problems arise with the company or some earnings, you know, are they short-term in nature or longer-term in nature? So we want to own these best world-class, you know, what, where's really there, where are they going over the next five, 10, 15 years? That's the kind of stuff you want to own. I'll give you a quick example. And I don't know if you heard this, um, Google, for example, there was a few months back, they, their stock got hit a little bit. They, there was some new algorithm they were testing out on search and it, it, presented the wrong answers or didn't give mm -hmm. them right. Right. And do you remember this? At any rate, the media, they kind of vilified it and the stock took a dip and everybody treated like, you know, their whole system was failing. And it's like, you know, my thought was, I don't think so. I think that just means they were testing it. Now they have some feedback. They'll probably fix it, uh, fix it in a couple of months and make it better. Right. So, you know, is that a shorter or long-term problem? We saw it as kind of an opportunity to enter enter on the price dip for that boy you know back to the media again most of most of what they present is sort of useless just as a strategy and i've learned this we turn the sound i turn the sound down and i just watch the tape or the market sort of those tickers right 
So, you know, what is the stock market doing? What is what is the bond or the treasury market doing? Right. What is oil? What is gold? What is the U.S. dollar doing? It, it, that'll tell me everything I need to know. I mean, even if the Fed chairman is speaking and coming out and the content, it is important, but you can see really quickly all these factors. They either like what that person is saying or they don't like it. And sometimes it's not always the details, but the direction and what that means. And you can tell where to act. So those are some nuances that have taken some time to develop. And um, those are things we look at for folks. But we don't sit around in our office and watch watch these uh, news media all the time. And <laughs> I'd encourage folks not to do that. Turn that off. Let's have a discussion. Let's look at it's just too much short term noise. Mm-hmm. You know, other things I, I'm coming up with that folks should be aware of, you know, we, we've been for quite some time, we've been putting in some really conservative positions, just short-term T-bills. Um, they were at 0.5% about a year ago. Now they're at, you know, 5.3, 5.4% going out, maybe three, four, five months. These are state tax-free. We have a lot of folks in high-tax states, right? California. Texas folks don't have income tax, but a lot of folks do. You know, that's that's really interesting. So people can earn a nice yield on on their safe money if they're not sure if things are overbought. We guide folks through that. Just the title of the podcast, obviously, The Millionaire Next Door. So if someone has a million dollars, maybe a little over a year ago, they were making $500 off that. Now they're making fifty-four grand. Mm-hmm. with um with um being state tax free so that that's a big change in calculus and that actually goes into the valuation of stocks so we're mindful of that we're blending that sometimes with these alternative investments private lending i've talked about uh, those are yielding 10% and um these are institutional quality type investments typically a 10 million dollar minimum investment but we we can get People in through our portfolios for substantially less, and we're doing it. Sometimes we're blending those two. A lot of clients really like the blending of those two, and that's yielding you close to seven and a half, eight percent. So um, it starts to become very compelling. A lot has changed on just a pure relative risk, historically speaking. The SP 500 relative risk measure they use is 19. Okay. For the private lending, that kind of thing, which is which is a whole different stream, lowly correlated to stocks or bonds, it's one. Uh, Treasury bills like 0.5. So so you can see there's really they're really a lot lower volatility. There's good yields. I have some folks where they have enough capital or they're at a certain point in life, or maybe they have a pension, they're saying a six percent rate of return is just fine for me. You know, I've got income. I want to pass this stuff on. So we we can really dial down the risk if that makes sense. Other folks are more growth type investors. And so we're we're not abandoning the market in any way. We've ridden out all of our strong positions and we're really excited about, you know, the future and what's going on, you know, with artificial intelligence and whatnot. But we pay attention to all that when we're building and constructing portfolios. So um, right now as we're in July 21st, the market is pretty overbought. Uh, Again, it's pricing in a little bit of a, it seems to be pricing in some type of a smooth landing. 
We're mm-hmm. not so sure about that, given there was massive expansion of the money supply, a thing called M2, M1. The Fed, they're starting to reduce that, and that's probably a good thing, but there's still just a ton of money sloshing around and floating around out there. We're, we're watching that M1. It, it really doesn't get talked about very much in the press or whatnot. We think that'll start to take hold. So we're on a little bit of a sort of recession or pullback watch. And we're just looking at alternatives that are out there, you know, that might offer us safer opportunities. But, you know, the other stuff, even with really the markets taken off a lot with artificial intelligence, we have exposure to ETFs in that space. We were big believers in that as a theme. But, you know, we're not we're probably not quite at the Jetson stage of, of life. So stuff still needs to be built. You still need manpower yet. We're, we're wildly excited. I'm, I'm reading about some of the uh, things coming out in the medical field in wearables. I wear a ring that tests my sleep and all kinds of amazing stuff and through an algorithm and they're getting better and better. I was just reading about a, a breath tool that's out there that can diagnose 17 diseases, including oh different types of cancer. So some of these are, they're getting close. And, you know, there's even a thing called CGM, continuous glucose monitors, you know, that mm-hmm. I think most people use them if they have diabetes, but there's, there's folks, you can get them if you don't and you just wear them and then you can, you can see if you eat a meal of whatever, like my insulin spiked because of this, or it did fine with, you know, it does fine when I eat this or not that, or if I exercise or walk, you can get a lot of input. A lot of those are done through AI and whatnot. Um, but it, it's absolutely fascinating what's out there and I'm seeing a lot of stuff. So collectively we're excited about that and i i know ai is sort of both sides right people are sort of afraid of jobs going away and fear of computers and robots running the world but there's some good side too so so we're looking at all that um that's certainly a theme we've baked into a lot of portfolios let me um let me cover a couple other areas and then i want to give you a couple of thematic ideas we've baked into portfolios that we we just think will be good that are part of our process. But, you know, we have these discussions with clients all the time. So one I might want to get into is called covered rights. I don't know if you're familiar with this. No, at I'm all. not. What is that? Okay. So this is if you own a stock or say an ETF, Let, let's say you own XYZ stock at 80 and it's $85. Okay. You can sell someone the right to buy that at $90, for example, uh, for the next two months. So if it's July, you know, the July 21st, let's say by, you can sell someone the right to buy that stock for $5 higher for the next 60 days. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, and in re- exchange for that, you're going to receive a premium. It's sort of like insurance. You receive, instead, you're the insurance company, you receive the premium. And you get that on day one. You continue to collect the premiums. So what can happen, right? Three things can happen to a stock. You know, it can go down, it can be flat, or it can go up, essentially. So if it goes down, and let's say it's 85 or below at the time of that expiration, 60 days out, you just collected the premium, you still own it, and you keep any dividends that might have been paid. If it's flat, same thing. If it's up, if it's really under 90, uh, we said 90 is the sort yeah. of the strike price. Okay. 
it has to be 90 plus a little bit higher plus that premium. And then they might call the stock away from you. Okay. The, the reality is about two thirds of the time. It's not a hard, hard science, but generally speaking, about two thirds of the time, these things expire worthless. So what that means is people are collecting that premium and they're still hanging on to the stock. There, if, if you're wildly bullish on a stock, I mean, you might be giving away some upside. If you think it's going to take off crazy in the next 60 days, don't, don't do this. Mm-hmm. But if, you're, if you are thinking, hey, this is a good hedge, I, I'm getting a 3% dividend and then my premium is already 4%, um, and if I gave it away five points higher, I'd be okay with that outcome, then that might be something to consider. And so right now we're in a very extended market. The market's very overbought. It's just done really well. It's probably due for some type of a pullback. I realize by the time this come out comes out, things could change. Doesn't mean it will pull back or it's destined to. It continue to run longer. But covered calls can be a really good strategy, you know, in this, mm-hmm. especially for conservative people who maybe want more income or just looking to maybe get you know, five, six, seven, eight percent, something more conservative. Um, and most of the time you're you're right with it. So uh, we walk people through that. There's also ETFs where you can buy a basket. You don't have to do it on your individual stocks or, or ETFs. We can walk people through that, but you can buy a basket uh, through an ETF of say, you know, the S&P 500 or the top 50 stocks in the S&P 500 and a covered call writing strategy where they do it all for you and yield about 10% currently. We mentioned this to clients. That can be a really good strategy. It's something they should be aware of. It's considered a lower risk strategy. And so we walk through people through whether it's appropriate. We don't, we, we want to make sure no one wants to just collect that premium, but that they'll never, never willing to give up the stock. That's not a good, you know, that means all you want is right, the upside right. with no. So generally when we explain them, they're, they're good with that. But that's a really good strategy to know about. One thing is the premiums that are out there, they vary, okay? So when you're in a high, like a very high volatile market, the premiums can be real rich. That's when the market's moving up and right. down all over the place. They're really rich on the premiums. When you're in a low volatility environment, the premiums might not be as high. We're actually in a, as we record this, in a really low volatility environment, although that may seem hard to believe. There's a term called the VIX, V-I-X. You can mm-hmm. pull it up on your iPhone or whatnot that measures that, but we're at, we're at pretty low levels. So um, at any rate, covered calls is something we would consider and discuss where it's appropriate. I just want to give you a few themes of things we, we've baked in over the years and we're continuing to do where it makes sense. Part of our process and discussions we have. So you know, insurance companies, generally speaking, I guess fundamentally, I kind of hate them because I'm paying them all this premium. I mean, my home, <laughs> knocking on wood, my car, my home, I've just paid them probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. I don't think I've hardly ever collected on a on a premium. I got to have it though. Okay. So it's a good business, generally speaking, the ones that are really well run. And there's a lot of profit there and they tend to have a lot of cash and they can invest in these bonds or these T-bills and earn a great rate. That's why Warren Buffett, his primary business is still insurance, right? Berkshire. And he owns Geico and and they invest that float 
because he's some type of once in a generation, you know, investor, uh, but he's still in the insurance business. So we look at that. They, they tend to be really good. So I'm not, don't take this as a recommendation, but we, that's one of the areas we'd consider. Sometimes things like natural resources, precious metals, commodities, these can be super volatile. So be really careful. They're way more volatile than stocks. But some of the companies that make things like concrete, iron ore, you know, lith- lithium, copper, I mean, those are going to grow. And mm-hmm. those they go into every iPhone. They go into every building. It's not just building here. It's all over the world, the emerging markets. Um, look at all the electrification and the copper or the electric vehicles. So we, we know which companies do that really well, that are world-class at what they do. Some of them just don't even have to mine for it. They have royalty rights. That's a thing we, we discuss with clients. Uh, energy, you know, is, is one theme. I mean, it's still going to grow through 2050, according to the IEA. Own a world-class kind of thing, maybe something like a Chevron, but at the right price. And this, again, it's not a recommendation, but we have these discussions. A- as a category, we like food quite a bit. It's not terribly exciting, but they've tended to be just, you know, not hot dots or the hot thing, but just good long-term investments. We we all get hungry three times a day. <laughs> we need protein. We're going to own the world-class, you know, food manufacturers. Mm-hmm. And that's been a good area to sort of bake into portfolios. Um, railroads. You know, a lot of folks for the first time, they're thinking railroads who, you know, that's old time. I'm thinking oh, about no. Monopoly. So people who've owned them and we've owned them for years and years and years, they've done really well. So across North America, there's maybe three or four of these. They're complete monopolies. Okay. You'll never build another railroad in North America. And so you know, we think that's a good thing. Uh, most of them tend to run sort of um, the lines run east to west. Uh, there's one in particular that actually runs north to south that just got acquired. We owned it. That means they can go up into Canada, which is completely blessed with natural resources, and then down into Mexico, which, you know, is a major trading partner and has a huge, huge future. So, that is absolutely giant. You'll never build another one. They're, they do really well. They're somewhat green. So that's an area we've parked in and done exceptionally well uh, with well, what else? Robert, yeah, with, go ahead. with railroads, how do you feel about trucking? Trucking. You know, I think that's been a decent area. We really have not gone into that a ton. We would look at it. My thoughts are the roads just get more crowded all the time. They're more sure. banged up. Railroads make make a lot of sense. They're they're quote more green, but that's just not an area I don't really have a mm-hmm. per, okay. per se. Although we have a number of models that would look at things like that. And so some of the trucking companies have done exceptionally well and we see things that come into favor. So so this is a perfect example. I'll get questions exactly like that. Or someone wants to get into trucking. We'll look deeply into it. We'll look at some of our models and we say, look, if you want a position in that or that makes sense, here's the way to go about it. Here's the real strong ones. Here's the ones that are dominating and leading. And, you know, you know, in any industry, there's usually some company that's doing it extremely well. And maybe there's other less efficient providers. So We'll we'll do a lot of research. So that's a perfect, perfect example. 
and we'll have those conversations. So just a couple other thematic areas, HVAC, you know, uh, air conditioning, heating. Ah, yes. Um, I mean, yeah, you know, I think certainly after COVID, I think there's going to be a big push to make buildings a lot better filtered, you know, that kind of thing. There's obviously global warming. You know, I know people, I have conversations with people all over that say we never needed air conditioning in in this area. You know, now we need it or now we'd like it. You know, right, the homes right. weren't built with this here, so we're stifling. Well, you didn't need it. I mean, I grew up in a coastal town in Santa Monica, and then my parents never had air conditioning in the car. So um, <laughs> you need it. And then the other side of it is the emerging markets. And as the world develops, you know, if they double their income from Lord knows what, you know, $200 to $400, the first thing they're going to do is probably get air conditioning or get a refrigerator right? <laughs> or right. air conditioning, maybe an iPhone, you know, so um, there's a lot of the world that doesn't even have air conditioning. So um, we do have some concerns about what are called these forever chemicals and some of the liability, but those have been really good as a sector and uh, that's something we'd look at, discuss. Uh, others would be animal health. Um, there's been some spinoffs from large pharmaceutical companies. Mm -hmm. uh, one's called Zotus. I don't. I think they spun out of Pfizer. It's not a recommendation. It's done exceptionally well. So within these big, huge pharmaceutical companies, they had an animal care division. And whether it's you know farming or livestock or just people's pets, even when times get tough, right? People do not cut back on what they spend on their pets. I mean, we're, we're pet owners, so Absolutely. you better you have a budget for it. Yeah. So it's just an area to consider. People don't think about it. The, the markups and the profit margins are huge. Water stocks, you know, water is a huge, it's a resource, most essential thing on the planet, right? Besides oxygen, maybe carbon, but at any rate, those are hard to find individual stocks. We have some ETFs in that space, but folks that are looking for, you know, solutions or provide solutions around that, that can be a really good theme. Uh, we talked a little bit about artificial intelligence and robotics. Um, we, we like that as a space. We like cybersecurity, biotech, any of those areas I don't want to bet against. I mean, cybersecurity, I now carry the insurance I have for several years, about five years, never had to have it before, read about cyber attacks at, mm -hmm. at large entities. I can't imagine the premiums are ever going to go down if I'm a chief technology officer of a company or CEO, and they're going to charge me whatever to make sure that up. Who's going to say no to that? You're just going to pay it. You don't really have a choice. So I think that's an important theme, artificial intelligence and robotics that will continue to develop biotech. They've synthesize the whole genome you know it costs millions of dollars to get that when steve jobs did it now it it's approaching you know 100 100 bucks or a thousand bucks to get that done there's yeah. just a lot of dots there connecting so i don't want to bet against i want to be part of that but it's really hard to know exactly which company that's a high stakes gamble why not have a basket of different stocks that are leading in that space and that that's a good strategy so those are just some thoughts and themes. That's a little bit of a deeper dive in all the multiple steps. We think all those things together 
uh, sort of stack the odds in, in clients' favors dramatically. And it, it's sort of like the pilot, you know, they just run through a whole checklist. I don't know the number. There might be 200 things they're doing in the cockpit before they say, thumbs up, It's we're good to take this airplane off. We run through all that. We do all that. We're monitoring it constantly. We, we don't share every piece of that with clients because they don't want to know you know, every aspect of exactly how the, the Swiss watch is built. Right. <laughs> they just want to know it runs well, but we give them some insight and uh, let them know there's a lot going on under the process, you know, to the process, our process. We're constantly working on it. We're constantly dialing it in. It's evolving. We utilize it. And then when we get client calls or when we're having meetings and we're trying to decide about the future, that's pretty unknowable or, or what they heard or what they read, people send me articles, we, you know, then we respond to that. But we let them know the framework for how we're making those decisions or recommendations. So there's a lot going on there. And we really enjoy the process. And like your question about trucking, we love getting questions like that. um, So we can look into it. And sometimes we have a really clear answer. Other times, Maybe not, but you know how that goes, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. when, when you're not really thinking about something, but if somebody, you know, sick, you know, three weeks later, all of a sudden some piece of information pops up that really relates to that. You weren't even thinking about it before. You're like, oh yeah, that's uh, and then we'll share that with them. So we're always looking for that for folks. So that's some of the process. We're constantly engaged. We, we really enjoy it. You know, we're here as a sounding board, just trying to give good, good advice. And we think over the years, over a long time, when we have that interaction, it's like having a coach, a check-in, the client's still in control. They get to make the decisions, but we just try and give them our best pure advice. And uh, that's been a great process. So well, Robert, there the you big, go. The yeah. big question becomes then, how can listeners reach you? Because I'm sure there are people out there who want to continue this conversation with you. Yeah, for sure. For sure. I mean, there's do-it-yourselfers. That's fine. But if you want some help or if you want to just kick the tires and see if we could be of help, the best way to reach me is um, you can call my office or just just email me. It's R-C-U-R-T-I-S-S at S-E-I-A.com. You can find me on Facebook, on LinkedIn, on the internet, you can Google it. You can find my bio, my firm, my phone number, all that kind of stuff. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty reachable and part of my team will respond and we'd love to, to hear from you. Or if you're, we have a lot of clients who listen to this, so we just want to reinforce what we're doing. That's open to them as well. And of course, listeners follow this podcast. That way you will know when the latest episode is ready for you. Contact Robert and please share with others. I'm Patrice Sakura. And thanks for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Millionaire Next Door podcast. Click the subscribe button below to be notified when new episodes become available. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views or opinions of Signature Estate and Investment Advisors or Royal Alliance Associates Incorporated, member FINRA SIPC. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.